Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. The other day I uh, read in um, one of the uh, news uh, feeds that I um, get that in one of Australia's most affluent cities, the uh, capital city of Australia, Canberra, 60% of teenage girls um, are suffering from some form of mental illness, maybe depression, anxiety, and so forth. And and that's a huge number. And what the what the article was saying was that this is a huge problem that uh, they're attempting to address, and that more resources need to be putting into this. But when you think about sixty percent of teenage um, girls, teenage uh, young women. Um, are suffering uh, a mental illness. And a lot of these are talking about the people who are concerned about climate change. They're fearful, these things. They're worried about body image. Uh, some are being uh, bullied on social media. You know, a whole lot of issues that young people are facing today. And as I talk to people about um, uh, this, the, the, this situation, um, you know, one of the people was saying, well, you know, one of, one of the root factors is, uh, they believe, was um, the teaching of, of evolution and that we, you know, just rose by chance. We just, you know, it's survival of the fittest. Um, you know, we're not particularly special. We're just another animal. Um, all these aspects. And, you know, as I, as I think about it, the, the way the theory of evolution is being taught today in our schools and particularly being inculcated into the minds of young people from a very early age, um, you know, primary school now, um, we're, we're facing a very, very serious attack on, on truth because, you know, evolution in terms of a process to produce new types of organisms um, is absolutely impossible. Um, and, you know, and, uh, as I think about the issue of, of why, why are we here, why does anything exist, it, it blows our mind. Why, why should there be anything? And the fact that um, this anything that we have, the fact that we are here, that we're alive, that we have minds, we can communicate with one another, we can um, comprehend to a degree, you know, the universe, this planet, our surroundings. Um, we, we have these emotions of, um, of love and anger and all these sort of things. Um, to me, is clearly points to some sort of higher order to God, it it it's so obvious to me as a as a scientist, and yet when I look at the way uh, the media promotes you know, particular ideas, um, particular very secular ideas, um, it's um, it, you know I can understand why the the young people young people are growing up and there's. They don't have this faith and hope that there is a superior being, 
Uh, they hear all about the, you know, the problems on the earth, pollution, the bleaching of the coral reefs, the destruction of rainforests, and and they get worried about the global warming, let alone, you know, the, the war-type issues, Cold War issues, nuclear weapons, all, all sorts of things like this. But there's so much in encouragement in the in the Bible, you know, as God talks about in uh, Revelation chapter 11, that God will destroy those that destroy the earth. And the earth, this earth is not our final home. God has a plan for us. Sin has disrupted our planet. Um, the 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 battle between Christ and Satan, between good and evil, um, is uh, has been won by God. But God wants uh, all of us human beings to have that opportunity to to be uh, with him. But there will come a time when God will say, enough is enough. And and so there's this tremendous hope. This this whole universe is going to be recreated. And people say the whole universe. But perhaps some people, you know, imagine how the universe must be so permanent. But it's it's not. When we when we boil it down, you know, so much of it uh, of our universe is is based on on force fields. You know, this uh, when we understand mass and, and and matter and and so and so forth. The the actual you know amount of, of solid material itself, so much of it boils down to really sort of force field type scenarios. And um, God is going to recreate the whole system because we're we're polluting the universe. We're we're sending out sending out microwave radiation encoded with evil. You think about it, all the television programs that are being broadcast around the world, part of that radiation encoding all those programs that include, you know, programs about all sorts of evil and bad things are being sent out into the universe that could be picked up and received later on somewhere as they travel through space. Um, All your mobile phone messages, part of those are radiating out into into space. Um, so God is going to recreate the whole lot, and when we think about it, that and people, you know, people don't sort of understand this. That so much of us is is actually energy fields, and of different types of energy fields um, that are responsible for interactions that you know produce effects that we known as we perceive as something being solid. Um, we see things because the reflection of photons off these. Uh, interacting with these energy fields that, in fact, um, you know, result from the interaction between electrons and the the nucleus. But even the nucleus itself, where we delve down into the different particles that make up um, the subparticles that make up the particles that constitute the nucleus, um, it's it's an amazing system. But what this points to is that there is a higher authority and one day there will be justice. And the thing is that the whole Bible picture that points out is that we have a God that loves us. Um, Science has been forced to reject that. It's just a vote made by certain atheist scientists that have have moved and influenced the educators that we, we have to keep God out of the picture. 
But people forget that there are, there are angels as well. We rarely talk about angels these days. But we need to remember that the Bible records accounts of, of people being released from prison by angels That's, and then going out to, to preach about them. It's a pretty significant experience to be in a Roman prison and then released by an angel. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty pretty realistic. I mean, Romans, you know, the Roman system there and guard system was pretty efficient in what they did, um, and to have that experience. And there are many experiences like that recorded in the Bible, and even in modern day, uh, people have reported these accounts. And young people, I believe, need to have this hope. Need to have this this hope that um, there is a God that loves them, there is a purpose in their life and there will be a better world remade for us ahead and that, that after we die we will be recreated uh, to enjoy that world again. And that's the hope message in the, in the Bible. And that's, of course, why God came as a human form, as Jesus. And I guess for some people it's, it's hard to understand that too, to accept that, how could, you know, if there is really a God, how could he come and why would he come as Jesus? Why would he come at that particular point in time, in that particular place? But when, but I mean, there's too much to explain that on, on this particular talk there. But when we look at some of the great writers and great Christian philosophers, you know, sort of like C.S. Lewis, right, that thought about this. And as they studied the Bible, as they studied the Bible account, they realized it all made sense. It all added up. And you know some of the great philosophers and scientists that you know like um, James Clark Maxwell and uh, Clark Maxwell and so forth, um, they believed and they they saw it made so much sense. Um, you know another thing that the young people don't hear about now is uh, you know the account of George Mueller, the man that run these ran these orphanages in Bristol on faith and uh, cared for thousands of of authors. Uh, orphans on the base of God providing and kept a diary account of answers to prayer. You know, there's you know, so much been documented really for the evidence for the existence of God that just isn't being passed on to our young people today and constitutes really, really powerful evidence for the existence of God. And also we have so much now powerful evidence for creation. We have websites such as um, creation.com, just Google creation.com. And this produces um, articles that answer a whole lot of questions, providing powerful evidence now and often um, cite the secular scientific reports that are being published in the literature today that powerfully support uh, creation. There's Answers in Genesis, Institute for Creation Research, um, um, and the um, you know there are many other uh, creation sites that um, support and provide the evidence uh, for creation. Um, my book, In Six Days, Why 50 Scientists Choose to Believe in Creation, is still available on, on Amazon. Um, and when you look at it, I think there, there's several hundred reviews of the book or comments about the, the book and it gets a you know, very strong star rating, nearly five. Um, and so many testimonies of how this book has, has changed people's lives. And again, on the website creation.com, um, and you Google for In Six Days Preface, 
Um, you go there uh, to that particular link on the left-hand side. There's a, a list of names you can click on. The scientists, all with their doctorates, and they explain explain why they choose to believe in creation. They explain the evidence. Um, there's my book, um, Evolution Impossible: Twelve Reasons Why Evolution Cannot Explain the Origin of Life on Earth. Again, that gets uh, fantastic reviews on Amazon. It's a book that, uh, as I refer to, the uh, scientific literature out there available um, and sets it out. It gets excellent reviews um, that I've been able to explain um, in clear layman terms the powerful evidence that evolution is absolutely impossible and did not occur. And I guess, too, some... People, you know, some of the detractors say, "Well, you know, what does Ashton know? He, you know, he's he's a chemist." Um, but I think we need to, you know, remember and understand that, you know, evolution, uh, the claim of evolution, is underpinned by chemistry, and the chemistry points to the fact that evolution cannot occur. You can't the the reactions required to develop new code um, that's responsible for new body parts just doesn't arise. We can have evolution that results from duplication of existing parts of the codes or evolution that occurs by deleting part of an existing code. Um, that's, you know, that sort of evolution. But that's the loss of information. And that, evolu- that form of evolution is most common. But it doesn't lead to new body parts. It leads to perhaps new types of organisms, organisms that can't fly or have left body parts and so forth, different types of fur or wings and, and so forth because deformities occur. But it doesn't lead to new types of, of body parts. And one of the aspects of um, the powerful evidence why evolution is absolutely impossible and, and powerful evidence of creation is the human genome. Now, on the 31st of March 2022, in the journal Science, there was a new paper published. It was called The Complete Sequence of a Human Genome. And... Um, it's in uh, volume 376, issue 6588, pages 44 to 53. Uh, so the title of the research paper is The Complete Sequence of a Human Genome. Now, it's interesting when you look at that, there are about 100 authors to that paper, 100 scientists contributed to this paper of working out the um, this human genome. Now we heard that the human genome was cracked back around about 2000, but in actual fact, they only uh, really uh, determined the sequence of a very small portion of the genome, uh, less than two percent. That was the euchromatic uh, fraction of the genome. That's the genome that's uh, re- responsible for encoding uh, amino acids, essentially. And you know, on this basis, we had all these people claiming, "Oh, well, you know, it's ninety-seven percent similar to chimpanzee and all this sort of thing." It was only two percent of the genome. The rest hadn't been cracked. As a matter of fact, they've been working on it, um, you know, for the past almost quarter of a century. Teams of scientists around the world have been trying to understand the human genome, the human DNA code, working on it. And um, just recently, there was still about 8% 
uh, of um, a female code to go. And that's what this paper is about. I'll read you the abstract. The abstract reads, Since its initial release in 2000, the human reference genome has covered only the euchromatic fraction of the genome, leaving important heterochromatic regions unfinished. Addressing the remaining 8% of the genome, the telomere to telomere T2 consortium presents a complete 3.055 billion base pair sequence of a human genome, T2T CHM13, that includes gapless assemblies for all chromosomes except Y corrects errors in the prior references and introduces nearly 200 million base pairs of sequence containing 1,956 gene predictions, 99 of which are predicted to be protein coding. The completed regions include all centromatic satellite arrays, recent segmental duplications and the short arms of all five acrocentic chromosomes unlocking these complex regions of the genome to variational and functional studies. So we can see, here we are, this groundbreaking paper published in Science 31st of March 2022. And over 100 scientists involved from different top research groups around the world. And they're just part of one. They're just part of the telomere to telomere research group. There are, the, there are a whole lot of other consortiums. And essentially what they've uh, said is that we have put together now and have been able to map the structures of the, the human genome over 3,000 million base pairs, you know, 3 billion base pairs, um, because up till then only about 2%, uh, as I said, back in 2000 was characterised. But this and the rest of it was assumed to be junk DNA. Now, I guess just to recap on this so we can understand... The, remember when we talk about DNA, these very long biomolecules known as polynucleotides, and they're composed of, of simpler little, they're a real long polymer molecule. And the basis of a polymer molecule is the monomer. That's the individual unit that is repeated. And the mon these monomer units are called nucleotides, right? And each nucleotide is composed of one of four nitrogen-containing what we call nuclear bases. They're um, cytosine, guanine, adenine, thymine. And so that's why we abbreviate those C, G, A, and T, or I like to remember it, Australian Capital Territory is good, A, C, T, and G. And, uh, and then these are bonded with a sugar called deoxyribose and a phosphate group. And so these nucleotides, so remember they're the, the, the made up of these bases that are A, C, T, and G, and they're the code. They're the, essentially the code letters, and they're joined together by a chain, um, which uh, is a type of covalent bond known as a phosphodiester uh, linkage with, between the sugar of one nucleotide and the phosphate of the next. So this is the chemical structure of, of DNA. And so essentially it's a structure that holds together 
a whole lot of chemical molecules, these cytosine, guanine, adenine, and thymine, that are the code, right? And it's sort of like paper can hold together the ink, right, that, that writes a statement about a code. But that code involving those four compounds, right, that we assign letters to because it's easier for our brains to understand, A, C, T, and G, describes the human body, right? All our, um, uh, you know, all the functions of our of our hum, human body. So this, the human genome contains these three billion base pairs or nucleotides, and these nucleotides, which are arranged in this linear sequence along DNA, the deoxyribonucleic acid, uh, and they encode every protein and genetic trait in the human body as in this code, right? And so this information we know is contained in you know, about 20,000 genes, which only, and bulk of that, we understood, only represent a small fraction, about 1.5% of the total DNA. And so the remainder was called non-coding sequences. So that's... You know, when, when you think about that, that's 98.5% were believed to be these non-coding sequences because they don't code for amino acids. And this was a massive amount of DNA that lay between the genes on the chromosomes. So the genes are, are small sections of DNA code. Uh, as I said, there's about 20,000 genes that sit on the uh, chromosomes. So in humans, we've got 23 pairs of chromosomes, uh, right? So there's a, a duplication there. And so the chromosomes are groups of the, um, you know, contain the, the genes. Uh, and then the genes themselves are made up of thousands of these nucleotide bases or, piece, or the code, letters of the code in each um, uh, gene. And these genes are then clustered together in the chromosomes. And out of the 23 pairs of chromosomes in humans, 22 are the same in both male and female. But the 23rd one um, is what we call an XX chromosome in females and an XY chromosome in males. And, of course, sometimes there mutations have occurred. And so, unfortunately, some people can carry mutant genes. And these mutant genes can be responsible for genetic diseases. They can be responsible for deformities in our body. They can be uh, responsible for um, you know, um, genetic or sexual deformities as, as well, such as in the, um, in the XY uh, gene. Some people can be XXY and, and, and so forth. Um, and this causes a lot of confusion. But we need to understand that these are mutations. They're not as the original plan as God made people. And so these are breakdowns, they're duplication that has occurred. Now, uh, as one of the, the top researchers in this area is Elliot, uh, Dr. Elliot Margulies, uh, M-A-R-G-U-L-I-E-S. You can look him up. Um, and he talks about these non-coding DNA, how it plays a role 
in expression, in, in gene expression. And he writes this, non-coding DNA is just what it says. It's non-coding. <laughs> you can think of the genome as being split up into two parts. There's the stuff that codes for proteins, and we call it coding DNA. And for lack of a better term, the rest of the genome, that's the other 98% of it, <laughs> is referred to as non-coding DNA. And some people will try and refer to this as junk DNA. Uh, but this is uh, Dr. Margillis' uh, writing. But I would suggest otherwise because this represents 98% of our genome sequence and it does all sorts of things. Like it regulates those genes to figure out where they should turn on and where they should turn off and how much we should turn on certain genes and how we are going to pack up the DNA into chromosomes, and so forth. And there are probably a whole host of functions that non-coding DNA does that we still don't know what it does yet. And some non-coding DNAs transcribed into functional non-coding RNA molecules, transfer RNA, ribosomal RNA, regulatory RNAs. Other functional non-coding DNA includes the transcriptional and translational regulation of the protein coding sequences that scaffold attachment regions in the origin of DNA replication. Um, in centimeres and telomeres, so telomeres are those sections at the end of DNA um, uh, sequences, uh, at the end of genes rather, and then in centimeres, these are vast sections of DNA that are just repeated hundreds and hundreds of times. And um, the thing is, some of these sequences were extremely difficult to figure out. Now, when you think about it, the... Um, this massive amount of work that's gone in there to this code, and this code will be useless without a code reader, the ribosome and so forth. And um, evolutionists have to believe that this amazing code that works, that describes everything, the intricacies of our immune system, our reproductive system, our visual system, our digestive system, all our muscles, skeletal system, arose by chance. Chance, chemical mutations, chance, chemical random reactions that arrange those letters A, C, T and G. Look, it doesn't, you don't have to be a statistician to work out that it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. When we do the stats, it shows it's absolutely impossible. And it was uh, fascinating to read the report that this uh, particular sequence, and it's not one, the sequence doesn't represent one particular human female it, because samples of the gene were taken from a number of different uh, female genetic materials. They still haven't cracked the Y chromosome. And so it, it's interesting that uh, it says uh, that the homogeneous Y-bearing CHMs are not non-viable, so a different sample type will be required to complete this last remaining chromosome. Um, and so they say it should be possible to assemble a Y-chromosome from a male sample using the same methods described here um, with their reference assembly technology. So... You know, this just describes the amazing complexity that scientists have been struggling with all these times. You know, the evidence for creation is so overwhelmingly obvious now that we understand this, now that we have this great depth of science. And it's so important that this message get out to young people. And I really hope 
and pray that that listeners to this program will draw people, uh, will put references to it on their social media, will tell other people about, tell other people about the other websites such as uh, Creation Ministries International, creation.com and similar organisations and other books and resource material that is available now that can be really good resources that young people can have to reassure them that we didn't evolve. We are created by a loving, all-powerful God, and that loving, all-powerful God can save us. That loving, all-powerful God will one day recreate us in a new world made new where we will live with God forever. You've been listening to Faith and Science, and remember, if you want to re-listen to these programs, just uh, Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 